So um, we're looking at faith today. We do real faith. And I want us to think together about why faith really matters. And then I'm going to give you three suggestions about ways we can grow in faith. And then finally, I want to make space to tell stories of faith. I'm going to share some of the uh, slightly mind-blowing testimonies of what happened as some of us gathered in Madrid last weekend to fuel and encourage your faith and give space for others to testify about what God is doing. And then we're going to pray for some people. So that's uh, the plan. Uh, We're looking at faith because it is vitally, integrally uh, important. Uh, We live in a very cynical culture. We live in one of the most materialistic parts of the United Kingdom, arguably. And we are people seeking to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, And I think faith is not just a kind of specialist subject for the religiously inclined. The more I think about it, the more I come to the conclusion that to be human is to believe. To, To be alive is to be engaged in an act of faith. You look at children, they trust. You look at adults, they fall in love, which is surely one of the greatest acts of faith you can give. Look at our currency at the top of every banknote. Uh, the Queen, God bless her, says, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £5, £10, £20, £50. And uh, why? Because we know that that bit of paper actually isn't the money. It's just a promise of value elsewhere. So, Hello, and sorry to interrupt. Unfortunately, during the service, we had a few computer issues, and the next few minutes of the talk were not recorded. Fortunately, however, we caught the rest of the talk from Veron. Around us, everywhere, in our money, in our relationships, in our children, in the movies, in the cinema. But what does the Bible say about faith? Well, we're going to jump around the Bible a little bit. We try not to do that too much, because... Um, Sometimes it's good just to get a passage, which is what we normally do, and really see its context and work with it. Uh, but, but there is a time for just jumping around uh, the Bible a little bit, and we're going to do that today. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says this. It defines faith as this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then Hebrews chapter 11, as many of you know, will go on to list the heroes of the faith down the ages. And the point about them is they're heroes of faith. It's their faith that caused them to live remarkably in a way that we're still thinking about them today. And then in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, the writer, who could have been a woman, but it's probably a man, but might have been a woman of the book of Hebrews, says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It is impossible to please God without faith. We see faith in the example, the life, and the teaching of Jesus, of course. He often distilled complex situations down to the essence of faith. 
He would say to someone, it's your faith that's healed you. On other occasions, he rebuked people for their unbelief. There's a story in Matthew chapter 17 in which um, the disciples have tried to heal someone and it's not worked. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. And then Jesus arrives and kind of annoyingly heals them. I mean, they must have had to be happy for the person who has been healed, but there must have been a slightly ungodly part of them going, rats. <laughs> and so they say to him, why did it work when you did it and not when we did it? And Jesus says to them, because you have so little faith. And elsewhere, Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That's quite a promise. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So prayer, uh, here we have faith as something that is essential to pleasing God, the key to unlocking the power of prayer. How do we grow in faith? And I ask this because I don't know about you, but I don't find faith easy. I know some people are just wonderfully trusting. They just, they just seem to have the gift of faith. And I'm afraid I'm a questioner, I'm a thinker, I'm more of a doubting Thomas than an apostle John. There's that story, isn't there, of the father of the boy with epilepsy. And Jesus says, do you believe that I can heal your son? And he says something that echoes down 2,000 years. He, sa he says, I do believe, but yeah, help me in my unbelief. Just wave your hand if you relate to that prayer. I, I believe and I unbelieve and I believe again. Help me. And I've tried that one because, as many of you know, Sammy has, has this battle with epilepsy. And I've, I've tried that one on Jesus, sometimes with tears. I, I kind of believe you can heal this, but can you help me with my unbelief? So how do we grow in prayer? Three thoughts. The first is focus. Faith is about focus. Faith is about focus on the faithfulness of God. It's therefore about prayer and worship. We read of Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 19. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And so if you want to know why Jesus did such incredible things, why he was able to say such amazing things, because he was drawing down what he saw of the Father and doing it, hearing what he heard the Father saying and speak, spoke it. And so if Jesus somehow needed this time where he could focus on the Father in order to live radically and differently, how much more do we need that time where we step away from the kind of sea of, our, of chemicals in our bloodstream and the events in our diaries to really focus on the timeless truths, the facts of God's word? In prayer we can recenter on the facts of God's word, not feelings. And so your feelings might say God is a million miles away, but God's word says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Your feelings might be a failure, I'm rubbish, 
I've messed up again. I'm an idiot. But the facts of God's word say all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. The facts of God's word says you are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And when he looks at you, he sees you the way he sees Jesus. You have to decide what you're going to believe is true. You might feel afraid about the future today. But there's a wonderful promise in Jeremiah that says, that God says to you, I know the plans I have for you. And they're not to harm you. But they're to give you a hope and a future. And so we have to decide, are we going to live day to day on the basis of what feels true? Or are we going to live on the basis of the facts of what God says is true? Now the trouble with all of this is that it can be quite uh, difficult to believe God's word. Um, I remember as as a child discovering a Father Christmas outfit in my mother and father's uh, wardrobe. And thereafter was determined to continue to believe in Father Christmas. But it's, it was quite difficult. And, 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 you know, faith can't just be about gritting your teeth and pretending. There has to be substance. Conversely, I have a friend who the first time I met him, I thought, this is the least trustworthy fellow I've ever met. He's loud. He's outrageous. He's irresponsible. Beware. But actually, as I've got to know him, I found out that he's one of the loyalest, most reliable, most dependable, most beautiful human beings you can ever meet. In getting to know him, I found that I can trust him. And with God, it is in getting to know his faithfulness that we find faith. Faith, you see, is not a spiritual currency for getting stuff. It is not a transactional commodity. Faith is a pair of open hands by which we receive from God. As we seek God in prayer and focus on who he is, not all of our problems, we find faith grows in us because we get lost in wonder, love, and praise. We realize, do you know what? God's never let me down. Do you know he's been true to every promise he ever made to me? Do you know, even the times I thought he'd let me down, fast forward a couple of years and I can now realize he hadn't let me down. When that girl I desperately wanted to fall in love with me didn't and I thought he'd abandoned me, actually thank God that she didn't because, frankly, I did better. And, you know, <laughs> you, you know God, you, and, and then it's not just about my little life, but I start to look at the global church and I'm going to st- share some of the stories of what God's doing in the world. And, you know, the world is not, as we were reminded a few weeks ago, not getting more evil. It's always been evil. It's just got a video camera now. But what is happening is the church of Jesus Christ is growing around the world. The church is the primary agency of AIDS care, for example, uh, adoption and so on. And I think I'm proud to be part of this family. I know it's messed up. I know sometimes terrible things happen. I'm, I sometimes do terrible things. I'm part of the church. I shouldn't be too surprised when certain other people do terrible things. But actually, God, I'm so grateful to be part of this 2,000 years story. And so as we start to focus beyond ourselves on the goodness of God and, 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 and the journey of faith, we rewire perspective on the trials at work or the argument we had with our wife or whatever the problem is. With Sammy and me, our relationship flourishes not when we're talking all the practicalities 
who's going to do the school run and, you know, who's going shopping and what do you want for dinner? But our, our relationship flourishes when we move beyond just talking the practical stuff. And we have fun and we go to the cinema and we go and walk the dog and we say, what are we going to do for a holiday this year? And it's in those moments we flourish. It's the same in your relationship with God. If your prayer life is just lists of things you need God to do for you, that's fine, but your relationship with him won't actually flourish. It's when we move beyond just saying, God, I need this, this, and this, thank you very much, amen, to actually beginning to converse with God about things and celebrate life conscious of his presence with us. Have you ever tried switching on the telly and saying, God, just come and sit with me now as we watch the TV? Well, it, I know it sounds weird, but unless we can draw God into our normality, we're only playing religious games. And so we're called to focus. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher, said a beautiful prayer. He said this, Teach me, O God, not to torture myself, not to make a martyr of myself through stifling reflection, but rather teach me to breathe deeply in faith. Why don't we try and pray like that this week? Get with God and... Breathe deeply in faith. Focus. Another key to, I think, growing in faith is friendship. There's a time for the cloister and there's a time for community because it's often in the community of faith that our own faith grows. Faith is contagious and cynicism is corrosive. You get around cynical people your faith will corrode. I don't just mean your faith in Jesus. I mean your kind of your faith in pretty much everything. You'll become cynical about relationships, cynical in your creative choices. But you get around people who are full of faith and you'll find that you become more trusting. It is a culture that we can create. And I see that in this community. Bill Kuzak, when I spend time with Bill, my faith grows because he walks and talks with Jesus in such an amazing way. And it inspires me. Clive and Heather, when I spend time with Clive and Heather, wherever they are, Clive and Heather are always encouraging. And it makes me want to be more encouraging. It gives me more courage. Sammy, my wife here, has the most amazing simple trust in God. And when I'm getting all complicated about everything, she just calls me back to the simple things, just trust. So faith flourishes in prayer as we focus on the Father and in friendship as we invest ourselves into the community of faith. And finally, faith flourishes, well, it really comes alight when we fuel it with testimony. Romans 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing. And it's often as we hear the stories of what God is doing, as well as what God has done and has said in the Bible, but what he is doing, that we find faith grows in us. And so what I want to do with the rest of this session is just share some stories and some testimonies. I'd love to get the band back up, please, if that's all right. Um, I, just, I, I, I want to share these stories because God's just been doing such extraordinary and amazing things and I want you all to feel part of that 
And I want you to be encouraged. I want your faith to grow through that. Um, I'm nervous of doing this because I don't know about you, but I often find if I'm ever not at something, everyone always says it was incredible. And I start to think, <laughs> I must be like this curse of Tutankhamun. You know, I'm at something, it's never that great. And then if I miss it, it's amazing. And I'm nervous of that. I don't want to make you feel like that. But at the same time, you know, we are right at the heart of the 24-7 prayer movement globally. It's part of the vision for this uh, church to be a resource to that and to model that. And um, the Lord Jesus came to be with us in Madrid um, last week uh, in ways that I've never experienced before. And um, I want to tell you some of what's happened, but most of what happened I'm not going to be able to explain to you um, because it was simply holy. Um, it was just an awareness of God's presence at a level that if you were there, you know what I'm talking about, and if you weren't, you can only experience but I'll try and give you some of the words that fit around the experience of God's presence because I think God wants to release that here this morning. And so then we're going to pray for anyone who wants a fresh gift of faith. Ephesians chapter 2 says that faith is a gift from God. And some of you, that your faith is just going to grow as I share. You're going to feel it. And some of you just going to pray for you. But um, it was an amazing time. Um, firstly, there were just extraordinary testimonies from around the world of what God's doing, which reminded us again and again that we're on the winning side. Um, a guy called um, Etiel from Spain. You know, Spain is a, a country that's never had a revival. It's very, very hard to be a non-Catholic Christian in Spain, and even the Catholics... Well, the Pope has said that Spain needs to be re-evangelized. And we were meeting, obviously, in Spain with members of the 24-7 family from all around the world. And um, so this guy, Etiel, shared he's a Spanish believer and is part of quite a small church. And um, there's a lady in their church who's Persian. And since she became a Christian more than 20 years ago, she's been praying for her husband. 20 years of praying for her husband. And once in a while, Etiel said her husband would come to church. And whenever he came to church, they would sort of rewire the whole service around the fact that he was there. And Etiel put a picture of him on the screen. He's a kind of a big, burly, Spanish, you know, real man-man. And, uh, and uh, they said, you know, the whole service would be about the fact that, um, you know, this lady's husband has come. We don't do that, by the way. We probably should be a bit more organized. But um, anyway, every time he came, he didn't particularly enjoy it. And sometimes he would actually heckle. You're all very polite. But he would sometimes actually call out, say, rubbish, or whatever. So it never went well. And then quite recently, this husband came to the meeting and said to Etiol, um, how did you do that? And he said, how did I do what? He said, how do, you, how do you do that? He said, what? And the story that emerged was that whilst the wife was at church a week earlier, the husband had been at home and Jesus had physically manifest 
in his living room had appeared to the husband who was so terrified that when eventually Jesus disappeared, all he could think of to do was he went out to the local Catholic bookstore and bought a big bling Catholic Bible with kind of crosses and jewels and things on it because he didn't know what else do you do when Jesus appears in your living room. And the next day, Jesus appeared again at the same time. And every day for seven days, Jesus appeared in his living room. And so one week later, he turns up at the church, shaking, said, how did you do that? And they said, well, we did it by praying for you for 20 years. And he's now given his life to the Lord. Would it be nice if that happened a bit more often? It would help, wouldn't it? They said there are more and more of those sort of stories now they're experiencing in Spain, across the church of angelic visitations, dreams and visions. And then we heard from our friend Alan Scott from Northern Ireland, how they've led 2,200 people to Jesus in the last seven months in Coleraine, Port Stewart, and that whole area of Northern Ireland, mostly not in church meetings, mostly on the streets, people out walking their dogs, talking to people. This is not in Africa, Latin America, or Asia. This is in Northern Ireland right now. It's happening. 2,200. You read that in a history book, you'd say it was a revival. It's happening now, just an easy jet flight away with one of our friends. And then we heard from our friend Drew in Lebanon who's working in the refugee camps, and we've taken up offerings. You know, it's the biggest humanitarian disaster on earth right now, those Syrian refugee camps. And he told us so many stories, but one of them, he was interviewed and was asked what was going on. The story I'm about to tell you is so incredible that uh, you'll think, well, this is his big story for the last five years, but this was kind of the tone of it. He kind of just went, uh, what should I tell you about? Um, oh, I know, a couple of weeks ago. And then he's into the story. And it basically, he and a friend who's an Arab believer in Jesus in Isa went into the refugee camp. And he said a lot of the refugees, the Syrians, obviously they're all Muslims, they made two big mistakes. The first was when they saw the Arab guy, whose name is Ali, they assumed that he was a Muslim, not a Christian. And the second mistake they made was to think that Drew didn't speak Arabic because Drew is a Westerner. And they started to talk in Arabic to Ali slagging off Christians, which is quite unusual because generally Muslims are actually very respectful towards Christians. And then Ali responded by standing up in this refugee camp, the sort of thing you see on your TV screens and getting out his Bible. And he began to read them the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. And as he read them, the Sermon on the Mount, he then said to them, don't you think the world would be better if we lived like this by the way of Jesus? And so then this big debate starts to break out about Jesus and whether they can take Jesus seriously or not. And Drew's standing there thinking, this is unusual. And then a guy shuffles forward and he says, you need to listen to these two men because I had a a bad foot and they prayed for me in the name of Jesus and it's been completely healed. So all I know is that Allah answers their prayers when they pray to Jesus. 
And so then they led, I can't remember how many people in that Syrian refugee camp that day to Jesus Christ. Whether they call themselves Christians is totally irrelevant. They are becoming followers of the man Jesus, who is the only way to the Father. And uh, he, he gave a story after story of God moving. He even said an ISIS member, has, they, they know, has given his life to Jesus Christ. And he said, before you judge ISIS, pray, because there was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus who was intent on killing the Christians. And God had another plan on the road to Damascus. And there we have the great apostle of the Christian faith. Saul became Paul. And he said, we need, to, we need to be praying right now for God because we're starting to see extraordinary things happening behind the scenes in the most unlikely places. And then we heard from Charlie in Ibiza, Charlie and Abby, who, who, who head up our work there. And this summer alone, they have rescued more than 1,000 people from the streets of Ibiza. We first went there because the Daily Mail called it Sodom and Gomorrah. And we said, if the Daily Mail is going to say somewhere Sodom and Gomorrah, we're going to go there with the gospel of Jesus. And we went and we've kept going. And we now have a permanent community there. And they rescued over 1,000 people from, who are off their heads on drugs who are off their faces on alcohol, who had been date raped, who had been attacked, Rohypnol, whatever. Just this summer alone, they're running effectively an ambulance service uh, for Jesus there in Ibiza. And then we heard from Phil Togwell about how more than 400,000 children have now prayed in classrooms, in school, uh, ju just through the Prayer Space in Schools initiative, and how they're encountering God through that. And then we heard from a lady called Linda. Linda is a middle-aged woman um, who often listens to these podcasts. Hello, Linda, if you're listening now. And God sent her to Mykonos, to a Greek island. She didn't know why. She just knew God was sending her. She she does speak Greek and she got there and she, she thought, what do I do now I'm here? And she couldn't find any other Christians. And then she got really stirred up reading Brian Heasley's book about the work in Ibiza and about the importance of prayer walking. She thought, I need a prayer walk. But you meant a prayer walk apparently, according to Brian's book, with a couple of other people and there are no other Christians. So she went and got two non-Christian friends and said, do you want a prayer walk with me? And they said, well, what will that involve? She said, basically, we'll walk around I'll talk to God and you say amen at the end. And, and, and if you ever see anything kind of with your spiritual eyes, if you ever sense something in a place, you tell me and I'll tell you if it's right or not. And if it is, I'll say amen. And they said, okay. And so now I just checked with her three times a week. She prayer walks around Mykonos with two non-Christians who absolutely love prayer walking and are undoubtedly, in my opinion, going to be the foundation of the church that is getting established in Mykonos. Because you may think you don't have enough resources in your workplace, or you may think you're up against it, but I don't think you're as up against it because you're here this morning with quite a lot of other Christians as she is on that island with no other Christians. But there's a scripture that says, what have you got in your hand? And you use what you've got in your hand for the glory of God and he will bless it. And so there she is prayer walking with non-Christians around that Greek island three times a week. And they're beginning to hear from God. And then we have this amazing moment where... We, we, every, you saw it in the video. Brian Heasley got up in this pulpit thing. That was in, actually in King Philip II's palace where we had a party on the Saturday night with flamenco dancing and, and tapas. 
And uh, every year people bring something that they've made that we can auction. This year people brought bags. Swiss people brought bags with 24-7 logos and lots of chocolate. And a 92-year-old, I think, knitted us a bag with a, a logo on it. All sorts of people brought these bags. And we auction them. We make insane amounts of money and just bless someone. And this year we decided we were going to bless this couple who are with us called Vicinthia and Leon. Vicinthia and Leon are from Manenberg. Manenberg is the place in South Africa that has the second world highest murder rate in the world. And there's a community that has moved in there, led by Pete and Sarah Portal. Pete used to work for CBBC. He gave it all up to choose to live in the place with the second highest murder rate in the world. That's what Jesus does. That's what NGOs go in their four-wheel drives on part of some kind of an adventure kick career drive. Christians go in and live there and say, your people are now my people. And if you're going to be shot at, I'm going to be shot at. So they're in there in Manenberg. And uh, Vicenza and Leon, they live in Manenberg. They're part of Manenberg. They've always been in Manenberg. They're desperately poor. We paid for them to come and be with us in Spain because they're part of the leadership now of what's being planted there. Their only income in life is they make crisps and sell them from their little house in Manenberg for one rand a packet. That's their only income. And so I kind of took a look at them and thought, I think that's who Jesus would bless in this room, right? The poor. I think they're the poorest people here. Forgive me, Lord, if there's others that are poorer. But, you know, not being able to pay your rent's kind of a different poverty to this kind of poverty. And so we began just to auction these bags and we made, um, how much was it in the end? Eight, 10,000 euros? Eight and a half thousand euros, which is, we were told, way more than a year's salary for this couple. And there they're just weeping. And I thought, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. God breaking in to find the poor and just bless them and us getting free of money for a change. This stupid thing that doesn't even exist that we worship. And actually saying life is about joy and about kindness and about humanity and about raising up those who are down and about redistributing what we have in order to bless others. And um, don't worry, it's all being very well administered and they're being pastored through it and it's all being well handled. God, dear, some of you are already thinking that. Dear, oh dear, God help you. You're going to have a shock when Jesus really gets busy. And, um, and so there was just amazing stories. I go on, Tibetan monks getting healed and, and, and encountering Jesus. And I could go on, so many amazing things going on. But to be honest, the greatest thing was just the sense of God's presence. Just the holiness of God. Repeatedly, he interrupted the meetings and our plan went out the window and we were just speechless. Prophetically, I've never experienced anything like it. There's one occasion where someone that I know and trust and love um, came to the front. I thought he was having a heart attack, but it wasn't. It was the pain of carrying something from God. And he got onto the stage. He said to me, every step I took close to the stage, I was in more pain. And he got on the stage and almost collapsed. But then he began to speak. It was like automatic speech coming out of his mouth. And it was all about God raising up a new um, apostolic figure, a new Paul on the road to Damascus in the midst of all that we're seeing in the Middle East right now. He said, I'm doing this and you need, you need, you need to pray that, that it doesn't get cut short. 
and we just began to worship and intercede and it just all went completely crazy from there. Bill Kuzak, who's had to pop out, but you know, twice during the conference, he looked at a lady called Maggie Ellis, who's speaking here next Sunday, you know, who's given her whole life to trying to rescue people from um, sexual abuse, basically. And um, twice he looked at her during the conference and he saw a tattoo on the back of her neck. It was Hebrew writing. And on one occasion, he nearly turned to the person next to him, Haley Vysotsky, and said, Haley, I didn't know Maggie had had a tattoo. What's it say? But he just didn't. So when he finally saw Maggie at the airport on the way home, he said, what does your tattoo say? She said, I don't have a tattoo. He said, yes, you do, on the back of your neck. She said, I don't. He looked, there was nothing on the back of her neck. Now, Bill, if you know him, you'll know this, has got pretty much a photographic memory. So he realized maybe I was seeing something from God. So he got a bit of paper and he drew what he'd seen, the letters. He doesn't read or speak Hebrew, but he wrote the shapes he had seen on the back of her neck. And they spent a lot of time on Google. <laughs> and they found out that he was seeing on the back of her neck, written in Hebrew, the words from Scripture that say, healing in her wings. Healing in her wings. And here's a woman who's pouring her life into rescuing people. Can you imagine how that's encouraged Maggie? Can you explain that? You can't explain that. If you don't believe in Jesus, he's just real. This stuff is blowing your wires right now. And it's because there is a paradigm beyond anything you've experienced. You've sometimes suspected. But there is a reality way beyond. And there is a God. And there is a supernatural realm. You cannot explain life in a test tube or with a measuring tape. There is more. And you are part of it. And... Um, so we, we saw incredible, incredible things going on. And everything I've just said, I've totally failed to convey just the majesty of his presence, the wonder and the joy of it all. And people since in the last week, I've lost count of the number of people emailing me saying, I still feel overwhelmed by God's presence. I'm struggling to process all that went on. I led someone to Jesus yesterday. God's speaking to me in new ways. And it's just such a privilege to be right at the heart of it. Pete Burton said he just pretty much filled a journal with ideas for new songs that he wants to write to teach us because the Holy Spirit was just flowing and, and inspiring. And so I'm not telling you any of this to make you think, oh, rats, I missed something really amazing. I want you to feel part of something amazing because it's the same God and he's with us this morning. So what I'd love to do is simply this. Um, those who were in Madrid and feel like you've come back carrying something from God, I want you to come forward in just a moment. And those who weren't and think, I want a bit of that. I want, I, I want the gift of faith in a new way. I want to be more um, tapping into the supernatural. Then I, I'm going to invite you to come forward and get prayed for by those who are in Madrid. Because one of the things we've seen again and again is this stuff is contagious. And people can catch something and carry it and pass it on. And I'd love just to see something released amongst us this morning that takes us into a new season. And so let me just finish with one of the other prophetic words that were shared. On the very first night um, that we were at this gathering, in fact, 24 hours before anyone arrived because we had a little leaders thing first, Roger Ellis, who's one of the people who sort of oversees our community here, 
had a dream. And Roger doesn't normally dream. He probably three or four times before, and he said it's always been very significant. And he had a dream in which he saw um, this figure on the hillside above us um, on, a, on a rearing stallion, taming the horse. And then he, in the dream, sort of zoomed in and saw that the man was actually on a simulator. It wasn't a real horse, it was a machine. And then God said to him, it's time to release all the wild horses. You've learnt to train the horse. Now get out and start moving. And there's an incredible sense amongst us that God is releasing new ministries, new vision, new initiatives. It's a new season. And I wonder if this is for a number of you here now, even now I can see the Spirit just moving on some of you in this room. I wonder if it's a new season for some of you, that everything that's brought you this far has actually just been preparing you for what's about to come. That everything you thought, well, that was my life, that was what it's about, and this is about as good as it will ever get, or oh, this is about as hard as it will ever get, has actually been preparing you to step into a new season. And you've learned to ride the simulator, but now it's time to ride the wild horse. And I just sense that God wants to release a new momentum, a new anointing, a new faith, a new vision amongst us because we walk by faith and not by sight. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God because if we believe, we will receive whatever we ask for in prayer. You know me. I'm committed to being honest and real. I've written an entire book wrestling with unanswered prayer. This is not hype, but it is hope. I believe God has more for us.